taking the leap from impact nonprofit to the finance space. I don't come from a finance background, but got in the respect of the ecosystem because I kept listening. I made sure that I had my space, integrity was in check, and I provided value. It's okay not to have all the answers. It takes a lot of bravery to be humble and vulnerable in that space. And with that, you invite the right communities. We wouldn't be introduced if it weren't for the community. You need to meet the right enablers. Being brave also means sometimes there isn't a path right in front of you and you need to pave it. If you have a gut instinct and there's something there, great. If not, you turn around, find another spot. It's a compass that you need to pick. Sometimes you just need to clunk that compass and it'll redirect stuff. Welcome to Brave. Learn from Southeast Asia's best tech leaders. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. No BS on success. I'm Jeremy Au, venture capitalist, Sarah founder, Harvard MBA, science fiction nerd, and dad of two daughters. Every week, we debate startup news, interview changemakers, answer listener questions, and share personal insights. Join our movement of over 40,000 members and get transcripts, resources, and community at www.bravesea.com. Stay well and stay brave. Are you expanding or launching a business in the Philippines? Ensuring your employees' good health is key to attracting and retaining top talent. That's where Hive Health comes in, especially for startups and small to medium-sized businesses. They specialize in providing top quality and hassle-free healthcare plans tailored to your workplace. Learn more at www.ourhivehealth.com. Hey, Carlo. Really excited to have you at the show. We had such a wonderful time discussing the Philippines and Southeast Asia and felt like this would be a great conversation to have. Could you introduce yourself real quick? Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Uh, Carlo Chandelantar. I am the founding partner for the Gobi Core Philippine Fund. And regionally, I am the head of ESG and circular economy for Gobi Partners. Amazing. So tell me more about yourself. What was your earlier career like? Yeah, so I come from a family of manufacturers. My family comes from Cebu, Philippines, born and bred there. My parents really came from nothing and they were themselves entrepreneurs. So with the exporting industry, this is like the heyday, the golden age of exporting in the Philippines, just 90s to early 2000s. Basically, I learned all our weekends were at the factory and that's how I sort of honed in my entrepreneurial skills. And because of that, learning exporting and the supply chain, I really started becoming an entrepreneur and my parents just told me, if you want a toys, you have to work for it. So I started selling sneakers and uh, hip hop shirts in, uh, in high school and made about $500 per week. And I was balling that time. That's how my, my journey started. And when I went to California for college, I got really enthralled with Tom's shoes. This was during the time of the social entrepreneur era in the US. Learned a lot about it, wanted to help. Came back to the Philippines, built a couple of businesses, including our family's eco-fashion line. Really brought me into impact. And you know, things sort of just started there. And over time, I think the most crucial part that really changed the trajectory of my career and, and my life was really Typhoon Yolanda. This is 2013 and really affected millions of Filipinos in the space. And we were also part of that, but we were very lucky 
that we recovered easily and waves for water came into my life. So I was running a nonprofit for about seven years. They're running. Now we've hit 10 years. We've helped over a million Filipinos with clean water access. And that really showed me that technology and impact and proper flow of funding with the right team, with the right technology, with the right platform, it really creates, becomes an innovation, but also an impact to help out. Right? And that's been, if we were talking about my bleeding heart, it's always been social impact in that sense. And now I've been brought into the VC space. So some people say I, I've turned on the other side, but I see it as a way to, especially in the Philippines, it's a good way to create impact at this rate when everything's still so direct with the use of capital allocation. Amazing. And how did you transition into venture capital? Funny story. It was never planned. I uh, came back from a conference in Switzerland 2017. And I thought to myself, wow, the world is so different nowadays. Globalizing. And I saw that the nonprofit space had its ceiling. And I knew that if done properly, it could be a place for more leaders to develop. So I was thinking about what the next step could be for me and talk to my partners now, Jason and Ken. And we said, hey, you know, we're still young. We have networks. We have the stamina. Let's create the next Jollibee. So that was the joke. And all of a sudden, Jason, our managing partner said, oh, my boss from New York said, we need to meet this, this guy from Malaysia. He was my former roommate. So that was Tom and Tom messaged Jason and said, hey, come to Malaysia for the weekend and we'll show you around. And a lot of 12, 15 startups around the region came, met us. We didn't know that they were pitching to us. They wanted to know about the Philippines and we were just blown away. And then this was in late 2017 and we were blown away. Nothing was happening in the Philippines, so to speak. Yeah, amazing. So what has it been like, at least for the past few years, you've been working in the Philippines and the venture capital ecosystem. What has that personally been like? I would say 2017, as a wallflower in the space, even during the nonprofit side, I saw that sooner or later, the best way to see progress economically, social wise too, would be the use of technology. It reduces the cost, makes everyone productive, efficient. And I saw that with the nonprofit side, but when I was going towards looking, being part of VC, first thing we said was, was there an opportunity to begin with? Uh, I still remember during that time, uh, Gcash and Maya, they were struggling to get everyone on board. And so this was the nascent era, this is 2017 and 2018, 2019, I would say were the Gen Zero or the Gen One of the Philippine startup founders. Now you don't see them anymore. They're all thriving. They're trying to figure out more stuff. It's gotten bigger and it's been great. It, it's been harder during that time. The pandemic was really the game changer because everyone was sort of really brute forced into using technology as, as the essentials. Yeah. So what's interesting is that you've recently come out with the report on the Philippines ecosystem. Could you share a little bit more about why you wanted to write this report? Sure. So when we announced our first fund, this was 2018, we started applying the we got a lot of pitch decks coming in and over now over a thousand, we realized the amount of data that we have we couldn't keep it. We don't want, we didn't want to. So we started thinking about what if we can give back to the community and use this as a platform to get more investments and more players coming to the field. So our first Philippine startup ecosystem report was launched 2021. And I still remember talking about it during Philippine Startup Week that if you're looking for a sign, this is it. We saw that the past four years before combined was lower than just 2021 alone in terms of funding. So that really started the conversation of we should do this annually, but a yearly report didn't make sense because the, the changes would be not as drastic. And so we do it every other year and 
this year, we saw that there are more reports coming out of the Philippines, and I think there needs to be more. But we realized outside of Metro Manila, there wasn't really a blueprint of how to be a funded startup founder in the Philippines. So we said, we have a couple of Series B, Series C founders. What if they pay it forward? And that's what we did. We call it the Founders Edition. It's made by founders for founders. Partly, we wanted to give an update on the tech ecosystem with proper methodologies, but also really helping countryside development having founders not just come from Metro Manila or internationally, but giving the same fighting chance or equal opportunity for founders, whether you're in Mindanao or Visayas, you could be a farmer, you could be a fisherman, you could be someone that's completely uneducated. We wanted to level the playing field and that's exactly what it is. And so far it's been doing good. Amazing. So could you share a little bit more about what were your key findings from the report? There's a lot to talk about, but I think the crucial parts here is what are the traits scales that investors are looking for when it comes to the founders. We also have areas as easy as which areas in terms of business models they're looking into, where you graduate, demographics, all the way to different trends in this space. But if there's specific things you want me to talk about, it's a 50 page report, but I could distill it for you. I like the opening statement that you had about the iron triangle. So we talked about how fintech, e-commerce, and logistics are like the starter, fundamentals, construction, lay for emerging markets. And so that's something that is a thesis. Could you share a little bit more about how that came about? Sure. So the Iron Triangle was coined by Jack Ma from Alibaba. And it was a very simple, straightforward way to measure how the digital ecosystem can be robust, but also strengthened. So the Iron Triangle consists of three pillars. You have fintech, e-commerce, and logistics. And once you have these solidified, it starts expanding. The more it expands, the more industries come to join in. So e-commerce is the flow, the, the selling digitally for goods and services. FinTech is a way to exchange your value. And of course, logistics, especially when you're looking at physical goods. In the Philippines, we've been fortunate enough that FinTech is very progressive through the support of the Central Bank and uh, the alliance of you know, FinTech services here. It's been great. Remittances and loan globally coming back to the Philippines. It's one of the largest ways for the economy to, to operate. E-commerce, the cultural phenomenon of we love our jingles and songs. It's really gotten like this whole add-to-cart situation. E-commerce is really a good way. Fun fact, during the pandemic, over 10,000 SMEs that got onboarded to the e-commerce platforms became instant Philippine millionaires. So I think those two are strong and they've been really leading majority of the funding in the Philippines. However, in logistics is probably where I'm advocating to have more investments coming in, mainly because it attracts more D2C entrepreneurs. You see more flow of goods and efficiency of better last mile logistics and so forth. Philippines is, of, of course, archipelagic. We have almost 8,000 islands in this space, 7,000. And when you look at the space, a lot of products come from Metro Manila or from China. Let's say you're sending something to Cebu or from Cebu to Davao. It has to go to Manila, then come back to Davao. So the islands aren't actually talking to each other. And decentralization and efficiency of logistics could make or break the changes and possibly a couple of unicorns coming out of second or third tier cities. So I think what's interesting is that there's a lot of underlying macro growth, right? So previously talked about on a podcast episodes about the young age of Filipinos overall in ASEAN as population, the fast growth of digital consumers coming online, the increased adoption of digitalization. So it seems like it's all good news, right? What do you think are some of the harder aspects maybe on a macro level before you zoom into the different verticals? But are there any kind of like 
things that we should be thinking about on a macro side. Yeah, second largest population in ASEAN. That's great. Progressive central bank, fintech side, e-commerce good. We're seeing more founders. What tends to be forgotten to talk about is ease of doing business in the Philippines. It's harder to do business in the Philippines based on statistics compared to doing business in Cambodia. So mm. we're not top ASEAN wow. 6. We're actually ASEAN 7 for that sense. And that changes the game. Even on our startup level, when we invest, we see it's better outside of once you dominate Metro Manila or key cities like Cebu Davao, you have to go out. Mainly because it's cheaper to start a new location in maybe in Ho Chi Minh compared to doing smaller cities. The way the Philippines is sort of also designed is we have an administration, presidential administration of six years. Then you have the congressional senatorial levels could be four or three. Then you have the local ones. So just thinking about all these permits in between is not fun. However, technology makes it so that your asset light, you can wiggle it your way around. But it's also that, right? Things are becoming regulated. Do you find your fit here? Logistics plays a big role, especially when you're selling stuff. But outside of that, I would even say talent. Of course, this is like a global issue, but even so in the Philippines, there's a thing called brain drain. A lot of Filipinos would rather be paid in dollars than the Philippine pesos. And we know that there's a global Filipino talent, but in terms of being competitive, we are not as competitive compared to the large study abroad in, in Vietnam. So there's multiple aspects of it that we need to learn from our ASEAN six or our ASEAN neighbors. And I think the silver lining here is the Philippines is definitely lack from the ASEAN six. But we can learn from all the, the years of development around. So whether that's Indonesia, all the way to Vietnam, Thailand. And there's a lot of insights here of like my thoughts of where the Philippines or what the Philippine ecosystem could become in that sense. Right. So, but I would say those two are very important. I think what's interesting is that you mentioned about the ease of doing business is something that's to be improved on. Are there any examples of what does it mean for it to be hard to do business? Yes. So there is a innovative startup app that was authored by by Santer Bamakino. This was approved 2019. And basically it had three things going for it. Startup visa, tax holidays for startups, and the startup venture fund, which is the, the only one running, but they're still starting to deploy. Finally, they deployed this year. So I think the startup venture fund, what's crucial here is they will, if you apply to be co-investment partner and we invite all investors in the region to come in, they will match it, but this is like early stage. Then they also are hoping to deploy their fund of funds program. So that's a crucial fund of the, the startup venture fund. The other two aspects is probably the hardest to do. Right now, blanketed. Any foreigners that want to work in the Philippines, it's just one under work visa. There should be, and this law was actually modeled off Malaysia and Singapore's startup visa law. So fast tracking work visas would be the best way to do it. That would be the second thing. And then lastly, our tax holidays for startups. Of course, uh, we call it our Bureau of um, Internal Revenue or the tax ministry. They don't want their revenues going down because of holidays. But as we all know, uh, tax holidays motivate people people to invest in, in an economy. And I think when that kicks in, then it's a bit easier. But as you know, there, there are ways around it. But when, once you have that, I think it really completes this whole robust tech ecosystem. The government is putting in a lot of effort now. They've deployed and funded over $11.4 million since 2019. And things are moving and 
the key thing about the government in the Philippines is Filipinos are very critical and vocal about how money is deployed and rightfully so. So I think what's crucial now is providing that awareness that the government can't go zero to 100. It's zero to 10, 10 to 30, 30 to 50, and so on and so forth. So it'll, it'll take a while, but with this presidential administration, it's their second year now. We have about four or five years to really turn the tides and I'm very bullish about it. Any other government policies or changes that you think are really important for founders or folks who are building out the Filipino ecosystem to be aware of? Interestingly enough, when we did the survey, a lot of the founders don't rely on the government. I think that's a great mindset. If you're a private sector, you have to be creative and be resilient, resourceful even in this space. But government really dictates how the ecosystem could go from, from 1 to 100. So the most interesting thing that came out this year was actually NEDA, which handles most of the infrastructure and economic planning for the Philippines. They just launched the National Innovation Council. And basically the goal is to have all the secretaries of all government agencies and private sector. So we're seeing some remnants of representation from the private sector saying we need to protect the startups. You shouldn't try to make it harder for startups because we want them to grow. And in order to do that, you need private sector representatives saying this is how these startups work. They're completely different from what you know. We don't need offices. We need to be a bit more flexible. All these things really come up. And to give you an idea, some offices still use typewriters in government offices. So it's backwards, but you need representation and awareness that these things could happen. So things are changing. The question of how fast is probably the most important. So the acceleration of the, the changes is something that the National Innovation Council is doing. And also defining startups in the Philippines. When you say startups in the Philippines, it's not defined as technology startups, but rather a business, whether you're a starting business or an SME with an innovative model. And innovative here is very widely loose. It could be saying that you're selling something like sachets, but you're really not selling sachets or you're doing something technology enabled. So it's very fluid in that sense. Yeah. The other thing you mentioned, obviously, is the state of talent and landscape in the Philippines. Can you share more about that? State of talent. Well, put it this way. The, the good parts are if you are in STEM or in IT, junior, middle, and senior hires from any industry, your salary would be 30 to 40% more than any other industries. That's now in terms of education, going to support more onboarded to that. That's definitely lacking. And the proliferation of boot camps in the Philippines becoming way more eminent now. And a lot of conglomerates now realize that they need to upscale their employees in order to be competitive. So in terms of Filipinos, and this is where this whole juxtaposition of where the Philippines could be as an ecosystem. The Philippines, there's a possibility of it becoming a CBC land like Thailand, or it could be an Indonesia where there's a lot of startups competing for the same business model or a mix of both. We could have a Vietnam, but state of talent means that we need to motivate and attract global Filipinos to come back and build startups, but also figuring out where do you find these CTOs? I have some wild ideas like in order to motivate and attract talent, you need to create dev houses in Waratai or Shargao or in the beaches, it's cheaper rent. You can create a bootcamp. Internet's fast now with Starlink. It's a good way to make costs on their take-home pay better. I think that's a good way to do it. But also just forward in this space where we don't see too much. I, I guess it's also busy, right? The multiplier effect hasn't kicked in. But once we do a, have a couple of unicorns, the narrative changes. Okay, a startup founder can be really successful just being in tech. So 
we're seeing that as a very important part. The zeitgeist have changed before interns or fresh graduates from top universities would go straight to accounting firms. Now they just want to go straight to startup. So it's getting there, I would say, but tech talent in itself and main reason why deals in the Philippines have gotten a bit expensive the past two years was the import of talent to build the tech. We're also seeing a trend, funny enough, that a lot of Filipino founders would have either an Indian CTO or an Indian workforce that's building it. And I think that could also be a sign of the shortage of talent in the Philippines, but it could also mean it could leapfrog everything else in between. Could you share a little bit more about what you mean by import of talent? Yes. A few startups here, especially in the growth stage side, some of their head of product, head of engineers, product managers, they either come from Indonesia, India, Singapore, or even as far as Europe, building the tech. And you have junior engineers could be in the Philippines or not, they outsource it, right? So we're seeing a lot of that. I know a couple of startups hire import of talent to attract Filipino engineers to come in. It's also the quality, right? Time is money. The quality of talent or at least the product they create isn't just yet as global quality. And I don't want to of course, overgeneralize, but there are some interesting ones that are really building it out. I'd love you for to invite Jake from Expedoc. He has a great story on how he's finding diamonds in the rough in the Philippines and his model on cadetship and even Radif from Jack Genie. That's something we're building out even as a VC is how can we create this whole pipeline of engineers and talent for this space. And kind of double clicking into some of the verticals here, you mm. talked about the fintech side, the logistics, but also the gaming side has, you know, rising sectors and health tech as well. What jumps out at you as something that you're personally interested or curious about out of all the verticals you mentioned in the report? We have data, but also data and insights. They give you, they paint a picture, but we also have our biases. I look at, before we even finish this report, the first thing I said, okay, something's not right on, on my end. I thought for a long time, B2C business models and startups were the dominant models in the Philippines. I was wrong. It was actually B2B. And it makes sense now. For B2C to work, again, going back to the iron triangle. The logistics side needs to be supported so that more B2C startups come out here. It's hard to compete with Lazada and Shopee in this space already. And even Lazada and Shopee arguably have one of the largest fleets for logistics already in the Philippines. So it creates starting to become a duopoly, but we want more players to come in this space. Good example, just recently InDrive is coming in. They just got the nod to start their ride hailing app in the Philippines and they will start being a competitor of Grab. So I think that's a crucial part. In terms of where business models could come in, I, I think the wave of new fintech models are going to come out, especially now that you have the inherent foundational platforms like Gcash and Maya, they're sort of creating a super app, but I think there will be some new entrants of models that could use the base layer of these e-wallet platforms to do so. And I'm also very surprised that although they're being ran by banks and telcos that they still want e-wallets, you know, in, in Thailand, they don't want e-wallets because it's another 3 to 5% surcharge. But it, it's interesting that e-wallets are really taking the, the stage and consumption here in the Philippines. We're bullish on gaming and media and entertainment, mainly because the global Filipino audience and the Filipino culture hasn't been exponentially tapped. You have K-pop, you have Japanese culture, but Filipino culture, that stereotype of Filipinos are either you sing or dance, but you know, how can we make that as a way to increase the cultural phenomenon and adoption? We're seeing also a lot of health and education, which is rightly so is fundamental for the Philippines. So I'd start there and then there, there are more changes happening over time 
blockchain is very hot in the Philippines. Exchanges are getting a lot of regulatory oversight at the moment, but there's so many aspects. I think Forex exchange and arbitrage in the blockchain is still missing. Web3 is still struggling, but really trying to maintain its uh, relevance in the Philippines. So I think there's that. But I also want to make a disclosure there. A lot of these founders are either regional or coming from Metro Manila. Besides in Binanao, we're not seeing the same level of funded startups and we want to change that as well. And that's the reason why we created the report. I think the most important thing of a lot of the founders is really the funding landscape. We even added Monks Hill there and showing that where do you get funding? It's a cheat sheet, right? If you're getting funds from seed all the way to growth, local, international, you have that as a way to track your fundraising. Yeah. I thought one interesting statistic that came out for me was that only 46% of the Philippines is banked versus Indonesia, 51%, Vietnam at 60%, mm. Malaysia, 88%, Thailand, 94%, and Singapore, 97%. So I thought it was quite an interesting statistic. I think, I mean, I've known about it from a qualitative sense, but it was great to see that chart come out. I mean, I felt like that was the biggest, one of the biggest gaps, I would say, biggest differences, I would say. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think that's the reason why fintech's really still as strong as it should be. Things have changed. They say 10% of that would be 10% of the total bank population would have credit cards. The rest are still using debit cards. And some of them are just skipping all that and just having e-wallets. I think the crucial part of the growth would be the national ID system. Now it's easier because let's say you wanted to apply for a passport. There are like theme types of government issued IDs you need to use. But when you have a national ID system, you show that very good. So the land bank, which is like government's development back in the Philippines, when the national ID system came in, they've onboarded close to 10 million new bank accounts, right? The real question is active bank users is, is the crucial part and onboarding them to using the digital products is going to be the next step. And as you know, it's never zero to 100. Maybe you can go from zero to 50%. The next 20 or 5% is really expensive. It's hard to close a gap, but I think that's really exciting. But before even that to, to work, we need proper internet connectivity across the chain. I, I love to say that Thailand has one of the best connectivities. You can go to a cave, you'd still have 5G. In the Philippines, you just go out of the city, you start getting spotty. So it's these things that really add up. But yeah, you'll see a lot of the adoption ones, sorry, sorry stores, or we call them like war rooms in Indonesia. It's a good way to get adoption on specific demographics. But the Gen Z's and millennials are probably the first. They're really taking up majority of adoption in that space. Uh, on that note, could you share about a time that you personally have been brave? I think being brave is, you know, taking the leap from more impact nonprofit to the finance space. I don't come from a finance background. But I've paid my dues, gotten the respect of the ecosystem because I kept listening. I just made sure that I had my space, integrity was in check, and I provided value. My partners provide the finance point of view. I've learned a lot of it now. And really, it's just being honest who you're talking to, right? Communicating. It's okay not to have all the answers. And it takes a lot of bravery to be humble and vulnerable in that space. And with that, you invite the right communities. I mean, talking to you, we wouldn't be introduced if it were for the committee that told me that I was in Singapore, you need to meet the right enablers like you. And we talked about how you got 
added forms. I think that was also hilarious, right? So just all these things and being brave also means sometimes there isn't a path right in front of you and you need to pave it. If you have a gut instinct and there's something there, great. If not, you turn around, find another spot. So I think that's it. It's both the moral and it's, it's a compass that you need to pick. Sometimes you just need to clunk that compass and it'll redirect stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. I'd love to summarize the three big takeaways I got from this conversation. First of all, thank you so much for sharing about your own personal journey. It was great to hear about how you came from a family of entrepreneurs and was very focused on giving back and community work and how you eventually transitioned into venture capital as a way to help build out the Philippines startup system in the future for the population as well. Secondly, thanks so much for sharing about how you came about to write the GOBI report on the Philippines. And I found it was very interesting to talk about the macros, not just the opportunities, but also some of the challenges. And I thought it was very enlightening to talk about how the ease of doing business is something that's a very key priority and important step for the Philippines to advance on to help make it easier for other startups to emerge as well as the talent market uh, in terms of being able to import and retain talent that is able to help build out these companies to the next stage of development. Lastly, thanks so much for sharing about some specific verticals. We talked about fintech, for example, as where there's an opportunity for all of the rails to be built and how the digital ID is a big component and prerequisite for it to be successful. I thought it was also interesting for you to share your points of view about the Iron Triangle between fintech, logistics, and e-commerce as well, and how you see that continuing to advance in the Philippines. Uh, on that note, thank you so much, Carlo, for sharing your point of view. Thanks, Jeremy. Really enjoyed this stuff. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We would also appreciate you leaving a rating or review. Head over to www.bravesea.com for member content, resources, and community. Stay well and stay brave.